Hi, this is Eric Newsom. Please leave your message. Want to leave a message? Saying what? Hi, Eric. It's David from Madcap DC. Sorry we're five minutes late. I blame that on my co-host. But we're ready to talk to you now, so hopefully uh, hopefully you're in your office just screening this call, trying to figure out who the unavailable number is, but that is us. Good message. All right, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a lovely episode of Madcap DC. Extravagantly I'm, lovely. I'm David Ross. I'm Daniel Bloom. And we have a special guest, Eric Newsom, the vice president of programming for National Public Radio and author of Giving Up the Ghost, a story about friendship, 80s rock, a lost scrap of paper. And what it means to be haunted. But more particularly, before we get into the book, Eric, this is a very special day for you, isn't it? Uh, it is. Today being November 15th is a very special November day. November 15th, 2012. Not just to mention your debut on this show, but what specifically does this day mean to you in Canton, Ohio? Uh, it, in Canton, Ohio, today is Eric Newsom Day in Canton, Ohio. I think they had nothing better to do. They've gone through all 79,000 residents, giving them all their day. And so someone had the, the unwise decision of, let's make this Eric Newsom Day. Well, let me say to you, David, happy Eric Newsom Day. Yes, to you as well, Daniel. Thank you. I've been celebrating all day long. Yes. We're, People are asking if the banks were open. <laughs> and, uh, or if kids had to go to school today, and, you know, I think that's, that's up for every individual to decide. But for the most part, I think it's uh, everyone should celebrate in their own way. Yeah, well, we're celebrating by drinking champagne in the studio. So, are you, you. Are you an Andre man? <laughs> no, I'm more of a a, 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 a uh, whatever the cheapest stuff is that's available because I think it all tastes like crap. That would be Andre. Yeah, seven bucks. <laughs> yes, you, that would make you an Andre man. But if you could choose for the town or the world to celebrate Eric Newsom Day in any way that you saw fit, what would it be? Oh, I, I, I think that everyone should uh, um, stay at home and pretend there's no power and, and, and uh, uh, get blankets out and play board games all day. Okay. That sounds really fun. That sounds awesome. Yeah. All right, so about this book, Giving Up the Ghost, you talk about being haunted in this book. In, uh, what, in what ways were you haunted? Well, um... It depends on how you define haunted, because I think that's part of the point of the book, is that you could define haunted as, as thinking it's a ghost. You could define haunted as being uh, memories of your past. You could define haunted as being about regret or things that have a sting in your life even years after they happened. And and the answer to all those in this particular case is yes. So there was, there was a ghost who haunted you in this book. Tell me about this ghost. I think so. When I was a teenager, um, I used to have a set of dreams. I had recurring dreams, and that I was um, uh, I would be in the woods and in the stream, and I would see a little girl in a blue dress who could, tried to speak to me and couldn't. And um, uh, then I was convinced that she was actually in the house that I lived in. And so uh, uh, I spent an awful lot of time letting this belief kind of guide my life. Interesting. So for somebody who was haunted by a ghost. Tell me why you would try to go ghost hunting in this book. You did a lot. You did a lot of traveling to the most haunted places on earth. Now, if I was being haunted by a ghost, I wouldn't want to go to any of these places like the Mansfield Reformatory where Shawshank Redemption was filmed. Tell me about those experiences and why and what compelled you to do this. Well, you know, sometimes when you have something happen in your life like like I did, where you're not quite sure what's real and not real, you try to kind of figure it out by trying to figure out if even the the concept itself is real, if there are such things as ghosts. So I figured that probably the best first step for me to understand if I was, in fact, 
haunted by a ghost was to uh, um, uh, see if I could find another ghost. Did you find any? Um, no, I didn't. I, the interesting thing is I went to a lot of these haunted places, and people who I went there with um, were quite a... Uh, some, some of them had quite what they considered to be real experiences, and I would be sitting right next to them, and I, I experienced nothing. <laughs> I mean, you stood you stood in a, uh, I guess, a place where people were hung, and you felt nothing? In, in the Mansfield Reformatory where those nooses were, you felt you felt absolutely nothing as those EVPs were going off? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, you can very easily understand why people love ghost hunting, because it is really quite an adrenaline rush. Um, but basically, when you're in that situation, like like with that, you're sitting in a very suggestive place where... Where like you know people have have been strung up and killed you know they've been hung um, uh, the hangings that would happen uh, the death sentences in this reformatory up in the attic is where they used to do it and you're there and you can see the actual ropes hanging there or the remainders of them they're all kind of you know it's been a while since they were used um, and it's it's suggestive in the sense it really freaks you out you you you're in this place and you uh, think that no this this is you know if any place is haunted it has to be this place and so you're there and so your senses are really really heightened and so are the senses of everyone around you and your adrenaline is pumping and any noise you hear you automatically assume is a ghost you don't think it's a raccoon or a mouse or somebody else walking around equally scared because that would make too much sense your mind immediately goes to the craziest possible option which is that there's a ghost here have you ever participated in a seance? And if not, would you? Um, so, um, have I ever? Yes, I have. Um, and in fact, I've tried to conduct them myself before. Um, and again, you know, it's it, you know, my my whole thing is after going through this whole experience is I kind of walked away with the feeling that places aren't haunted; people are haunted, and that we we have experiences that are real to us and things kind of are tapped inside of us that come out and so a seance if a seance is what it takes to shake loose a ghost inside you then 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 more power to you sometimes you don't want to shake those ghosts loose though can you uh can we be invited to this seance that you perform <laughs> no i wouldn't do it again <laughs> you know, you, you know they, a seance or going to a haunted place is a lot like dropping acid <laughs> And that you don't know what's going to happen, but you know something's going to happen. And you don't know if it's, it could be the greatest experience of your life, or it could be the strangest or frightening experience of your life. A seance or going to a haunted place is a lot like dropping acid. <laughs> and that you don't know what's going to happen, but you know something's going to happen. And you don't know if it's, it could be the greatest experience of your life, or it could be the strangest or frightening experience of your life. spine like first rising vibes of an acid frenzy you don't know what's going to happen and to some people that's thrilling and exciting and to other people that's a horrifying notion of not knowing what's going to happen and, and maybe i'm kind of as i age kind of moving more towards the horrified side well it's funny you say that we have talked about getting trying to get a psychic in this studio and maybe trying to do a seance on air one, do you think that's a good idea for radio? And two, if we actually follow through on this, would you like to come and be involved? 
Uh, no, I would not. Uh, Are you sure? <laughs> think about yeah, it. Yeah. Let me think about that for a second. No. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, and, and the, th- the thing is, is that most of the people that would gladly come in and do that are probably frauds. You know, most, most people who, I'm not saying all people, because, the, see, the thing is, is um, how do we feel about language on the show, by the way? Wide open, curse. Okay. So w- with, with all ghost things, you can be pretty sure that 90% of everything you experience is pure bullshit. The only thing is you don't know what 90%. And so when you have people who come in, you know, there's a, there's a chance that they're going to be doing something that's very real and very kind of, you know, illuminating and kind of bizarre and cool. And there's a, there's a chance you can completely be being snowed at the same time. You just don't know. Okay. Well, shifting gears a bit, uh, this book is also about friendship. Would you please tell us about your friendship with Laura Patterson? Yeah. Uh, Laura was a friend of mine when I was in high school. And we became, as, as, as our lives kind of spun up into being individuals, uh, we became very, very close. And, and um, she was uh, probably the person that, you know, as all this ghost stuff was going on, I was kind of slowly becoming unhinged. And she was the one person who could probably, you know, I really adored her and was probably very deeply in love with her. And I constantly wanted her approval. And so I would do things, you know, I, I would kind of keep my act together around her because she was the only person whose opinion I really cared about. And so as I kind of became more and more disconnected from the rest of the world, I became more deeply connected to her. And we we had a very intense friendship. And, um, you know, unfortunately, one of the ghosts in the book is her in the sense that, she was um she was unfortunately killed when um when she was about twenty um when the time when the two of us had kind of kind of drifted apart in a way you know as uh that you know as with many things you should always treat your last conversation with anybody like it's actually your last conversation where was that last conversation oh the last conversation between the two of us I have no idea i know we 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 uh we had seen each other a couple times after after high school um uh, we talked on the phone a bunch of times. We exchanged letters, but I couldn't tell you what the order of all those things was. But I knew that you know the last time that we had spent any significant time was right before she went away to college, and I was quite an ass to her and, and felt like she was leaving me and betraying me in a way that only an 18-year-old boy can, can feel. And um, I said things which I regret to this day and never really had a chance to completely back up and, and uh, um, make, make right. Do you still feel her influence at all in your daily life, like when you have a decision to make or something that she might be proud of or have a comment on? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I, I would say that I've always gone through my life feeling that I was living for two people and that um, she uh, is, was profoundly influential on in me and who I became as a person, but probably most influential on me was the fact that she died. and and that if I was going to pick one of us from that time in our life that deserved to live, it would not be me. Hmm. And so therefore, I feel like I have some living. I, I have, you know, I've been given a, a life, and, and, I had, and she wasn't. And so it's my responsibility to do something with that life. And um, so I, uh, I try. Would the term survivor's guilt be too strong? No, in fact, I think it's quite, quite accurate that, that 
that, um, and I think at various points in my life, that was either easier or harder for me to deal with. I mean, I, I spent, it's so odd that I've written a book about the story because I spent 20 years trying to suppress it and make it go away. And then I realized I was failing at that because it was still very much of a ghost in my life, and she was very much of a ghost in my life. So I said, you know, I'm going to do, much like with the ghost hunting thing, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what logical choice might seem to be, which is to just, instead of running away from it, just run towards it as fast as I can and as big and as public a way as I can. During uh, your friendship with her, she gave you an ominous scrap of paper with a poem yeah. on it. What was that? What was that scrap of paper? Well, I didn't know until I started writing the book, and uh, for years, in fact, she used to tease me about it when she was still alive. You know, this this piece of paper, you'll figure out what it is. You know, you're a smart guy, you can, you can figure this out. And so I, uh, I never did. And and when I was writing this book, I. I you know periodically at times I would I Google the uh, the the words and that were written on this piece of paper to see if anything ever popped up and one time a couple of years ago it did and it turned out to be a little snippet from an, a much larger Allen Ginsberg poem uh, called To the Dead and um, the uh, the ironic thing was that if you look at her life at the time and my life at the time um, it would it, the poem is much more of a predictor of her fate than mine. I think one thing that colors people's thinking about ghosts, spirits, is the language. And it's always interesting to me that in German, the word for ghost is Geist, uh-huh. which we might otherwise translate in English as spirit. Yeah, Spirit is something that at least the West or Americans are much more comfortable talking about, the spirit of something or a person has great spirit. But we put the term ghost on it, and it's something to be afraid of. Yeah, I, I wonder how you feel about that dichotomy of spirits maybe being present and the idea that they're not something to be afraid of but acknowledge maybe as something that could be present um yeah it's interesting you know because the whole uh the whole notion of ghosts has changed throughout history to be much more um uh you know uh, much spookier than it originally was ghosts you know originally if you look back even in in, in the odyssey Homer wrote, um, there were ghosts in that story, and the ghosts were just kind of like these bumbling fools <laughs> that would kind of wander around and kind of aimlessly, these spirits were kind of, because they were, they were kind of caught between two realms, and they were just kind of bumbling little harmless things that were more of a nuisance than anything else. And, and look at how we've changed ghosts now to it's almost impossible for there to be ghosts without there being some sort of nefarious purpose to them, like they've got they want to haunt the living or they want revenge or they <laughs> they died in some terrible way and, and want and don't even realize that they're dead. That's a real you know, a real common construct in ghost stories today is that the ghosts don't know that they're dead. Yeah. Which to me is so odd because <laughs> I think there's in embedded in it is a fear of uh, our fear of not understanding that we're not living. And that that's something that we all could get caught in. Let's just let the weight of what you just said sink in for a second. That was <laughs> depth. That's exactly why we have you on the show, Eric Newsom. <laughs> all right. In the book, you talked about some of, some of the music that distracted you from some of the things that haunted you. Would you please shout out all the 80s music that you blasted throughout this period? Oh, I, I can't. It's impossible. But I, I would say that I did have a cassette deck or a cassette box Cassettes were still big when I was when I was at this age. A ghetto blaster, Canton's finest. Yeah, you know, no, actually, it was a, I had this like 
cassette deck built into my my car that had a little booster amplifier on it, so it would go from like being loud to like like ear splittingly loud. Nice. And it was like all it was all like the Smiths, Neko and the Bunnymen, and Killing Joke, and Joy Division, Gang of Four, and all these like kind of like eighties new wave kind of first generation, second generation punk bands that I love, Flipper and Black Flag, and and I this this case was supposed to hold 24 cassettes and I somehow managed to squeeze in about 30 and I was and, and so these were like this was like 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 Obama carrying around the nuclear football you know with all the codes in it <laughs> this thing was my life it was it was like how I defined myself and so it was my prized possession was that box of its contents and so it became you know mu- people use music as like a calling card of like saying who they are and when, when and you know, people, you know, I, I wrote a book once about music censorship, which kind of looked at the argument that was commonly held that, that you know, if you, if you take a good kid and expose them to heavy metal or something like that, they're going to want to kill themselves or other such nonsense. Or they, if they listen to Elvis Presley or see Elvis Presley dancing, they're going to want to have sex as a young teen or whatever. And, and, it, and, and whenever people have looked at the effect music has on people, it's quite the opposite. It's actually that... It, music doesn't make you do things. Music is an expression of who you are, and so are, and so are all the other things we surround ourselves in our life. So, at, at that point in my life, music was to me the calling card to the world of who I was. You were in a quite influential music group when you were an adolescent, were you not? A kind of a JV form of Kiss. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Kiss Junior, which was. Um, you know, uh, it, which you wonder what that has to do with ghosts. The truth is, it has very little to do with ghosts. Um, uh, it's, uh, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. We were basically uh, put, we had a little banner that said Kiss Junior on it. It was a Kiss logo with a little Junior written underneath. And we would, we didn't actually know how to play instruments, so what we did was we would take the Kiss live records and we would put them on and crank them up real loud and just kind of bang instruments over top of them and sing along and it was it was a lot of fun that's a great idea yeah why it, didn't it, I think it, of that that'd yeah, be the best cover band ever just put the records on and pretend like you're playing but you know I think there is a connection oddly enough between Kiss and Ghosts uh, just to hear you talk about it the members of Kiss fainted, painted their faces and made themselves into totemic spirit-like figures much larger than their actual physical selves, kind of almost enlarging their spirits, uh-huh. wouldn't you say? And then they went and shouted them to the hills <laughs> as loudly and as long as they could to the world. Well, see, now I'm going to let that sink in for a minute because you're dropping truth bombs here. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But I also, I liked, you know, I, I listened to some interviews that you did and, and in your book you talk about, you know, feeling like you had all the aspects of being a dork kind of piled piled on you but I thought you know you've got this band I never thought to have a band that's a cool move yeah I was 11 at the time too I was brilliant to, and we weren't doing it because we really because someday I said, oh you know someday I'm gonna look really cool when I talk about this band in fact um uh one of the other members of the band who, who unfortunately has, has died recently um the guitar player in the band he was actually I had published that story in a magazine several years ago um uh, and and then put it into the book. But when I published it in the magazine, he was kind of pissed off about it. He wasn't very happy that I had done that because he, I don't think he understood that people look at that and they think it's fun. And <laughs> he found it, he actually found it kind of embarrassing. Wow, wow! Tell me, what is an ericism? 
And Ericism is uh, one of the number of rules that I have about how I conduct my life that all are kind of fairly, all of them are based on sound ideas or reasons, but have long since lost their reason. Um, uh, like I won't eat crab cake. You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, I only use blue ink. I much touch the door of a plane before um, I get on the plane. They sound really OCD, but they really aren't. And I think that um, all my friends have their favorites as far as things. And these are things I just refuse to do. Like I will not eat zucchini. <laughs> um, um, I, I, you know, and, and and it used to be for a while that I would you know actively avoid places that were haunted was another one. And I think that everybody, all my friends, kind of look at these as kind of being goofy things, and they think that I'm joking about them. But no, I actually won't do these things. And and um, they've always assumed that being scared of ghosts was just some stupid thing I'd kind of come up with on the fly, and it's not. It's actually something that I actually am scared of. As, as uh, another addition to Ericism, uh, are there any particular cereals that you avoided? For instance, like a Captain Crunch or yeah, you know, I, 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 the Captain Crunch thing was uh, you know, it's, it's a, you're referring to a story in my book where I basically destroy a box of Captain Crunch cereal at a party in a very violent and frightening way to the people around. Was me. it the brown sugar and peanut butter you did not like? Yeah, no, it was actually Captain Crunch is fine. It was just at that time I just needed to hate something, and I decided I had nothing. I was so desperate to find something to be upset about that I decided to be upset about Captain Crunch cereal, and for no other reason other than there was a box of it sitting across from me, and I remembered not liking a commercial that I had seen, and figured I would make a big deal out of it by taking this box and basically throwing it all over a kitchen and screaming and yelling. Who can blame you? That smug look on his face, that grandiose hat. Yeah. Where, did, where does he get off? Maybe I do hate him. <laughs> you know, what What did he ever earn? We're a cinematic show as well, also not just about music. What were some of the influential films during this period uh, that you were speaking about in your book? Um. Uh, let's see. What are some? Of, I, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. Did I mention? Did I mention? <laughs> it sounds so stupid. But I'm asking you. What did I mention in the book? It was a movie. Well, you you did mention the Rocky uh, Horror Picture Show. Oh yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show uh, was a big deal. I'm sorry, I just drew a blank there for a moment. Um, uh, you know, it, one of the ways that I found kind of other weirdos that that I could relate to and hang out with was going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which at the time was still kind of bu- bubbling up and hadn't, didn't become quite nearly as well-known as it is today. And it really was considered to be quite odd. And today, you know, you know, memes come and go, viral sensations happen, and then disappear in a matter of hours sometimes. And back then, this was something that took years to really to fully develop. Can you watch movies with ghosts in them now? I haven't tried. Well, no, I take that back. Ghost I Dad, American Bill Horror Cosby. Story. I watched American Horror Story. Yeah, Ghost Dad. Yeah, exactly. I would, I would avoid that for a slightly different reason. <laughs> um, no, I, I watched American Horror Story and 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 was expecting when I watched it. I watched the whole season like over a weekend, and I was expecting that it would make me crazy because uh, usually when I watch ghost stories, I like I like when I when I watch The Sixth Sense in the movie because every once in a while I get this idea that I'm going to confront my fear of ghosts. So I go see a movie with ghosts in it, or I read a book about ghosts, or something, or a novel. And then when I saw The Sixth Sense, I showered with the shower curtain open for like a week <laughs> because I couldn't. I just couldn't shut the curtain. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And so 
um, you know, uh, when American Horror Story was available, you know, everybody's been talking about it, and it was available for the whole season's package. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch this. Very confused. What are you doing in my house? I am stuck here like the others, like you. We died in here, and for whatever reason, we can't leave. What are you implying? <laughs> that you're dead? I'm not implying it. I'm saying it. Yeah, dead. Dead as disco. Uh, I don't understand. Um, of course you don't, honey. But you're not the only one. There are other souls trapped in here. It didn't bother me. Now that that I just got lucky, and probably the next time I attempt to do this, it won't work out that way. But that time it did. It seems to me that as someone who has been, start, maybe this is too strong of a word, but plagued by ideas of being haunted throughout his life, you and the predilection of you being kind of wanting to express yourself in this way, it puts you at a a position of um, potential leadership, don't you think? Maybe to be the leader of the haunted to go and confront the ghosts? Huh. Now, you could look at it that way. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, uh, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's strange. I, you know, again, the more I spend time I spend looking at haunted things, the less certain I am that they even exist at all. Exactly my point. Has anyone come to you and said, thank you for dealing with this? You know, I feel the same thing. Do people identify with, with what you've gone through? Surprisingly not, no. I mean, people, people will tell their own ghost stories or their own stories about feeling haunted or their own stories about being, feeling like an alienated kid, but it generally nobody really, you know, nobody's really taken it quite from that perspective. So are you completely done with writing about ghosts? Completely over? Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, congratulations. You you actually gave up the ghost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nothing nothing makes you want to have nothing to do with the subject like actually writing about it. <laughs> and and my last two books, my last book was about vampires, and then this one's about ghosts. And I think I want to write about kittens or Santa Claus or something. How about both in one book? Yeah. I'm the ghosts of, of kittens and Santa Claus. Yeah, I'm kind of done with uh, the scary stuff for a while. Well, speaking of being done with scary stuff, let's switch gears and ask you. How did you find your way to the vaunted hallways of National Public Radio? Excuse me, NPR, as it's known today. Oh, I just they, I just keep showing up and they never tell me to leave. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, I, I, the last man standing kind of thing, more than anything else. I've just always loved uh, public radio and, and NPR and said that if I'm going to work in this industry, I might as well work, you know, at the mothership. So just kind of work my way up there. What were some of the shows that initially attracted you to public radio as an entity? Oh, I, uh, this is going to be a completely un- uninspired answer, but you know, I, I used to listen to Morning Edition, All Things Considered, when I was in, in the car with my parents who listened to it. And it just always uh, was interesting to me, and I always enjoyed it, and always felt like a world view into a bigger world than I occupied. So I, I've always listened to it, and I've always loved it. I'm one of those people who is like a forced listening in the back seat of the car, but... Uh, yeah, it's always been something I loved. Can you talk about, uh, can you answer the question, what is maybe one or two of your favorite shows that you would listen to now across the whole spectrum? Could be PRI, could be any other producer as well. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I really love, uh, I really love um, uh, Snap Judgment, which is a show that we distribute. And um, uh, that's a, uh, it's a great storytelling show. It's, you know, it's kind of surprising and amazing and interesting and, 
And uh, that's uh, something that I think is really uh, a view into the future of public radio. Now, you mentioned the word storytelling, and that's a word that I had written down before this interview even began, because that seems to me to be a common thread of what you're talking about in all these different forms. You've got literature through your writing. You've got public radio through your professional life. Even things like dreams, which can seem like the most realistic stories, just as realistic as maybe one that we would have in our real life. So I want to ask you, what is your motivation to tell stories and to hear stories? You know, what what does the word storytelling mean in your life? Well, well, you know, it's kind of similar. You know, I commented earlier about music as being kind of like a calling card of, of about us and who we are. I think that the storytelling and the way we tell stories and the fact that we, the fact that everyone loves telling stories and everyone loves hearing stories. It's like the most basic form of communication. It's the most basic form of teaching. It's the most basic way to understand. I think that storytelling, instead of illustrating differences, often brings people closer together and makes the differences between people not feel so so huge or different. And that that really kind of brings people closer in a strange way. And that's why it's an amazing thing to have as part of our culture. So this book about kittens and Santa Claus, when do you see yourself uh, starting to write this? Oh, no time soon. I'm ready for a break. Ready for a break? (laughs) And you've earned it. What festivities are planned in Canton, Ohio? I'm not sure what they're doing. Um, I'm probably going to go out to find some seafood dinner tonight Um, and some Creole food. But um, uh, that's how I intend to celebrate. But, um, you know, who knows what the crazy people of Canton, Ohio are planning to do tonight to celebrate Eric Newsom Day. Speaking, speaking of seafood, you moved to this region that is inundated with great crab cakes, and you don't like crab cakes? And from yeah. Mar- as a perspective of, of Marylanders, we take great offense at this. Oh, it's, no, I, I um, uh, and this is a perfect example of Ericisms that I, uh, um, the reason I don't is a neighbor, when I first moved to D.C., invited me over for dinner and served me a crab cake, and it was the first crab cake I'd ever had, and... I, the next day, I was hanging out with a group of people, some of which I knew, some of which I didn't know. And I said, yeah, I, I, they had some, you know, we're just kind of making conversation at the beginning of a get-together, which you do, which is always really, you know, uh, awkward. And I just decided to say, hey, you know, I had a crab cake for the first time last night. That's kind of just to say, something to say. And so I said, oh, really, was it good? I said, yeah, it was the best crab cake I ever ate. And a woman who was sitting there with a scowl on her face, just looked at me and said, how do you know it was good? I'm like, what? She says, how do you know that crab cake was good if you'd never had one before? And I said, said, you know what? It was the best crab cake I've ever eaten, and it's the only crab cake I'm ever going to eat. Because you are such an idiot, I'm never going to have another crab cake again. So, So I can tell you with certainty that it's the best crab cake I've ever eaten, and that's why I don't eat them. I hope this one wasn't a ghost because this this is frightens me. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I have no idea what her name is. I've never seen her again in my life. Yet I'm making this decision about for what I'm going to do forever as a result of just being annoyed by her. Wow! And if you never see her again, she really is like a ghost. She only exists <laughs> in your memory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, wow, wow. That's trippy. All right, before we end this interview, I have to do something slightly trippy. I'm going to invite our quiz master in to ask you the one question. We wanted to do like a whole game show portion of this show. So, Quizmaster, please enter the studio and take your place upon my microphones. One question, one question only, with four parts. 
Okay. Oh, it's one question, but it actually has four parts. That's right. Okay. That's right. So. It's a trick question. Hello. Hello. Then imagine yourself in a dream. The following people knock on your door. Do you let them in? And why? Number one, David Petraeus. Um, no, I don't let him in. Why? Why? Um, I really, you know, he's he may be a great American, did great things. I, I really, why, why, why would I let him in? Okay. <laughs> Our second guest coming to knock on your door in a dream, Gene Simmons. Do you let him in, and why? Um, I do not let him in because even though I adored him as a child, I I I, I abhor him as an adult. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, Gene. He's, he's like the saddest person that ever lived. Oh. <laughs> that vindicates me. <laughs> <laughs> and third, we have Mr. Karl Marx. The 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 founder of communism? Indeed. Um, now, why am I letting these people into my house? Like, it's a dream. Point? It's a dream, and a dead communist comes up to my door and wants to come inside? Yes. Do you wish to let him in? You don't want answers? <laughs> I don't have a lot of questions about communism. See, I know where he's buried, though. He's actually buried in London, of all places, in Highgate Cemetery. And, uh, sure, I'd let him in. Okay. And last but not least, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I'd let Hillary in. Okay, thank you for playing our surrealist game. <laughs> Mr. Newsom, we can't appreciate we can't appreciate enough for you uh being willing and make yourself available to do this interview. We know that you are in New Orleans and we know that you are a very busy man and we And it's Eric Newsom Day. And it's oh, of no. all days to join the program. You know, I think they gave that day to you because you were coming on this show. They knew it. They saw that this. Why? They they saw it. They're like, you know what? That's is, it. This is the way for him. This to the straw that breaks the camel's back to truly celebrate. Dan and David are going to be calling him from DC. It's so appropriate that you're in New Orleans. It's a city that's packed full of spirits. I mean, it's probably the most spirit-rich place in our country. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, be. So be be safe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been an excellent episode of Madcap DC. A I'm good place d- to imbibe spirits as well. Oh, boy. <laughs> Dan had to get his last part in. Go ahead. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us with Madcap DC. I'm David Ross. I'm Daniel Bloom. And this was Eric Newsom. Thank you so much, Eric. You bet. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.